count it a great privilege and honor to preach the Word of the Living God. And uh, it's a glorious thing to hear people being saved. If you're not saved here tonight, I want you to know that there's nothing more important in all the world. And I know what God did in my heart changed me in a miraculous way. And there is nothing more wonderful than knowing that your sins are forgiven through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, His perfect sacrifice, Him giving Himself for poor sinners like us, and then to be buried and to raise again from the dead and to give life, eternal life, The very moment that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life. You don't have to wait till you die to get it. There is nothing like it in all the world. And it will change you forever. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I hope you know the Lord. I hope that it's been settled in your heart that you've trusted the Savior. My message is not going to be on salvation per se. I I come here, I, I preached this message this morning. I'm confessing it to you. I preached it at Indoor Baptist Church. And it went all over me, uh, and I got, I, I'm driving here tonight praying and thinking, and first thing I get out of the car, Brother Newell says, you ain't preaching that message you preached this morning again, are you? Well, you talk about deflating a fella, uh, humbling you down. I said, well, yeah, I was thinking about it. He said, you didn't do a very good job this morning. Uh, I said, well, I got some practice in, I guess. But it's a, it's a subject. To be honest, I've never preached from this text till this morning. Uh, and it really convicted me. Because I think it's something that we really need. So turn in your Bibles this evening to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. 
And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He hear long with them, though He bear long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Amen. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth. I want to preach tonight on the faith of the widow. Now, the indoor conference, the theme of the conference was verse 8. It says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And I thought about that a lot this week as I was preparing. And I've got an answer for it. I know doctrinally, we know that there will be believers in Christ in New Testament Baptist churches when Christ comes again in the rapture. I know that for a fact because Jesus promised that He would, He promised perpetuity and succession to His kind of church. The one that He started during His earthly ministry. And as He gave the Great Commission, He told them to go into all the world, teach all nations, preach the gospel to every creature, baptize the converts in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. So I know that there are going to be believers when Jesus comes again in His churches. I believe that there will probably be other believers. Now, Jesus promised His kind of church a perpetual existence as they carry out the Great Commission. He promised to personally be with them and empower them until He came. You've witnessed some of that today. You've witnessed the power of God and the grace of God and the carrying on of the ordinances of God in this New Testament body. Jesus is coming soon. So doctrinally, yes, there will be some faith when He comes again. But practically speaking, I think the question implies that when Christ comes back, He will find some faith, but it will be scarce. It will be scattered. It will be hard to find, making real faith a valuable commodity in the day and age in which we live. Folks, we are living in some dark times. I come to this house tonight and rejoice as you lift up your hearts in praise 
and we sing the old songs of Zion and our hearts are rejoicing and our world that's in darkness knows nothing of the joy that you have tonight. Nothing of the glory that you've felt, that you've experienced. And it troubles me when I look at our country and the world at large that's in darkness. Not much faith. So you ought to thank God every day for the measure of faith that He's given Emmanuel Baptist Church. You ought to thank God every day. Young people, thank Him for parents that loved you enough to teach you the truth, to bring you to the house of God, to train you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Praise Almighty God for that. Because there ain't much of that going on in this world today. Now contextually, the faith of the widow and the parable of the unjust judge is sandwiched between two passages that both deal with the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Verse 18, or verse 8 of our text, When the Son of Man cometh, will He find faith on the earth? Well, if you go back into chapter 17, and remember, there wasn't... Uh, you know, chapter divisions. I'm thankful for them, but they, they weren't there uh, when, they, when the Bible was written. Think about this. Immediately before in chapter 17, you had Jesus, the coming of Christ is likened to, it's going to be like the days of Noah. All right? Now think about the days of Noah. You had one man, a preacher of righteousness, and a world... In fact, the very first time the word heart is used in the Bible was when God observed the condition of man's heart during the days of Noah, that the thoughts of his heart were only... Were, and imaginations of his heart was only evil continually. And it moved the Lord to send a great flood. And yes, I believe that God sent a worldwide flood. I believe God called and commissioned Noah to build the ark. And I believe while he was building that ark, he was warning people of the wrath to come, that a flood is coming. And judgment is coming. And the only hope you have is to be found in the safety of the ark when that flood comes. When the ark, of course, is a type, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one door, and it's Jesus. The only way to God is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The days of Noah... He preached righteousness. He built an ark. He was a public testimony to the world at large. And do you realize there were only eight people saved? Only eight people walked in to the ark, went into the door of the ark, and God closed them in. Only eight people were saved. So when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? 
It's likened to the days of Noah. I'm not saying there's only going to be eight believers left. But the idea is there's not going to be much faith when Jesus comes again. It's a whole lot different than what the, the people that believe that we're going to usher in the kingdom. That's nonsense. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. But it's even worse than that because he likens it to the days of Lot. Oh, what, what, what was going on in days of Lot? Perversity. Ungodliness. The abomination of sodomy. It was so awful, so wicked, so rampant that God destroyed the cities of the plain when He rained down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Now who were the people, how many people were saved out of Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember, Lot tried to warn his family. His wife loved the, 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 the world so much she looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And his son-in-laws, they mocked him. It was just Lot and his two daughters that were saved. Not much faith. Every time I preach at about Lot, I think and about Lot's wife, I remember I preached in a church up in uh, in uh, Fairborn, Ohio. An old preacher, some of you may remember him, his name was Brother Paul Kirkman. I preached there years ago. And in the back of his church, he had a clock right up there. And right next to the clock, it said, remember Lot's wife. So <laughs> when it, if, if, a, if a guy was preaching too long and somebody got to looking back, well, what time is it? Remember Lot's wife. Don't, don't be looking back. Another word. But only Lot and his two daughters were saved. It implies... Yes, there were believers, but faith in those days was scarce. And I tell you, faith is scarce, and prayer is scarce. You ought to value wherever you find it, and cherish it, and thank God for it. The more I read and meditated on this passage and prayed about it, I became painfully aware of my deficiency in prayer in general. And I hate to confess that as a preacher. I need to be more in prayer. Especially in persevering prayer. I'm convicted that my prayer life is sadly lacking and doesn't even measure up to the prayers of this poor, desperate widow woman. Oh, that God would impress upon me and upon you the importance of earnest, fervent, persevering prayers in this day and age where there is so little faith to be found. Now first of all, verse 1, you have the, the purpose of the parable. It says in chapter 1, He spake a parable unto them to this end, for this reason, for this purpose. The key to the parable, is it, that the key to the whole thing is hanging right at the door as you enter in. Jesus 
gives us commands. He says, first of all, men ought always to pray. The duty and the importance of prayer is set forth in no uncertain terms or mysterious language. This is clear. This is right to the point. With sparkling clarity, Jesus emphatically states, men ought always to pray. We ought to always. It ought to be a holy habit. Something that we engage in. Something that we do each and every day of our Christian life. And I'm here to tell you, when Jesus says you ought to do something, then you and I had better be heartily engaged and following exactly what He has said. If He tells you directly, men ought always to pray, then you better be doing it. Because it's a command of Christ, and one of the ways you prove your love, your loyalty, your faithfulness to Jesus Christ, is you do what He says. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. If you love me, Keep my commandments. Men ought always to pray. It's our duty. It's our privilege to pray. To come to the throne of grace in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. To call upon the name of God with sincere reverence, believing that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We have the honor of coming into the throne of grace through the blood and the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and know of a surety that God Almighty hears us of the truth. You see how glorious it is to know. See, our Christianity is so different from every other religion. Every other religion is impersonal. There's no real genuine relationship with God. With the true and living God. Do you realize what God did to make you get to a point and prepare you to where you can call upon Him? God loves you so much that He shed abroad His love in your heart by the Holy Ghost which is given unto you. God changed your heart, your mind, your will. And He opened your eyes to the truth. And He poured His love into you. His Spirit dwells within you. He, he gives you the grace to cry out, Abba, Father. To have a real relationship with God. And He hears us. He hears our adoration, our worship, our confession, our petition, our pleas, our thanksgiving, our supplication. God hears us. And that should be enough. When, when Jesus said men ought always to pray, we ought to say, Lord, I'm all about it. I want to obey this truth. I want to practice this truth. I don't want to just talk about praying. I want to engage. And this should be our consistent practice. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Not necessarily in a certain posture 
or even as in a specific time or place, but as a matter of course, a daily practice, a holy habit, men ought always to pray. I've started this week, I've made it a, a point of emphasis. When I get in the car and I'm all by myself, I turn everything off and I start praying. Now, sometimes I move my lips and I speak and people think I'm crazy. Other times I just speak from my heart. It's not in a posture. It's in an attitude. And men ought always to pray and not to faint. Think about the, the times in your life when you need to turn things off. Turn off the internet. Turn off the television. Turn off the cell phone. Talk to God. Talk to Him directly because it's a privilege. And we ought to pray without feigning. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. That implies a steady persistence and perseverance no matter what may be the obstacles. And there are plenty of obstacles to prayer. You can get weary. We're not to grow weak or discouraged or ready to quit in our praying. But we must learn to persevere in this holy exercise. Because we got quite a bit to pray about. Praying as opposed to fainting. You realize that if you're earnestly praying, you'll be less apt to faint. To grow weak in the faith. To quit. How many people in your Christian life, in your history, have you witnessed people that started out strong, but they grew weak? And they, their, their Christian life, little by little, began to deteriorate. I believe a lot of it has to do with not spending time in the secret place of the Most High. Going to the Almighty, recognizing how weak and frail we are. Because prayer is all about dependence upon God every moment of every day. But on the flip side, if you're fainting, it's a sure indication that your prayer life is lacking. You go back and just view your, your spiritual history, you'll find that those times that you grew weak and you grew faint, you felt like quitting and you stopped reading the Word and you got bad attitude and you got bitterness in your heart, I guarantee you, you look back, you probably weren't praying. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's the purpose of the parable. Now, the illustration. It's illustrated by the parable of the unjust judge. How Just how important... Praying by faith and pleading with God and doing it in a persevering manner, how important it is. And I'm not going to go through and read everything. We've already read that. But the first thing we're going to look at is the character, the wicked character of the judge. You know, I got to reading this and I thought, wow, this pretty much describes. Your average run-of-the-mill American politician. He, he was an unjust judge that feared not, he had no fear of God, he had no concern for men. 
He was out for himself. He had no fear of God. He was ungodly. He was irreverent. He was unbelieving. He had no spiritual discernment whatsoever. This judge was unregenerate. He was unjust. He was unscrupulous. He was un unqualified. Everything about this judge was wrong. He should have never been in that position of authority. But he was. You know what? It's prophetic in the sense we have a lot of that in our world today. Not just in the United States, but all over the world. People who pull levers of authority, who are atheists, who are evolutionists, who have no fear of God, who worship themselves, who are idolaters, who are perverse in their thinking and wicked, and they have the power to destroy people, just like this judge did. We're living in that day and age. So there's, there's a prophetic sense to this. Now despite the repeated attempts by the widow, he would not hear her case. He would not concern herself, his self with her pleas. He was only concerned with his self-advancement. With what profited him. What made him look good. Now, he wouldn't listen. And then think about the widow's plight. She had no man to speak for her. Her husband had died. Do you realize that you go back a couple thousand years, it was an entirely different setup. Uh, women were not heard. They, they weren't regarded for the most part. Now, the judges in ancient times did not want to hear from a woman. They didn't want to deal directly with a woman, especially a widow who had nothing to offer. She had no family or friends to care for her or represent her before the judge. She'd been defrauded. Somebody was so low down that they cheated her out of what little she did have. And she started coming to the judge every day asking for relief, asking for him to avenge her, right the wrong that had been done. She was desperate. She was in a state of desolation and poverty. And she was desperately seeking and pleading her case. And in spite of everything that was against her, she was determined to have her case heard. This is what amazed me as I thought about this. She lived in a culture that paid little attention to poor little old widow woman, even though... Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 17 said, Judges are to ha ha look out for the widows. This man had no compassion on her. He, every time she came, she wouldn't hear, he wouldn't hear her. But every day she got up, she went to the judge. I don't want to hear it. 
Every day. She was persistent. She kept on pleading. She was asking for Him to intervene. Now it's interesting to me that in verse 5, the judge thought within himself, here's what he said himself, I don't fear God. And I don't care about men. I have no concern for men. This was his confession of faith. I'm an atheist. I don't care about God. And I don't care about men. He was in violation of the two greatest commandments. Jesus said that the two greatest commandments are thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This judge was in violation of both. He, he did not see his duty to God, and he didn't see his duty to man. But something bothered him. This lady, he said, is troubling me. She's coming every day, bothering me, pestering me, wearing me out with her daily pleading to avenge her. Now it's interesting, the Greek word for weary in our text, you know, is, you ever been, been tired? You ever say to your kids, I'm tired of hearing that? You ever said that to your kids? Well, I hate to admit it, I have. She got weary. He got, he, that, that woman wearied him. But you know it also means, that word in the Greek language meant, meant to strike under the eye. Now I don't think he punched her, or that the woman punched him, although I bet she felt like it. I've felt like that before. I confess it and I'm sorry I, that I've got to confess it publicly. But I get sometimes, I'll never forget one time I was mowing the grass at church and I come along and I see our, our, uh, our, our air conditioning unit is completely taken apart and all the guts of it are out. Some low life had come and stole all the copper out of the church's air conditioning. I started thinking, oh boy, man, I'm, I'm coming back tonight with a gun. I'm going to sit up on the hill. I see somebody come down around that. I'm going to shoot them. I had to confess my sin. I, I, I got It went all over me. I asked the Lord to forgive me. And my wife kept watching over me that I wouldn't go out that night. I got mad. Well, her constant persisting pleading... It was starting to wear on the judge. And he probably started to think, I wonder what all the townspeople are thinking. This widow woman's coming every single day. I won't hear her case. She leaves, comes back every day. And I won't give her any relief. This was starting to bring reproach upon this judge. He was selfish. He only cared about his image. He didn't want her giving him a black eye in the community. And that's the only reason he relented. It was purely selfish motives. He wanted her to stop coming every day. It was bad on his image, bad for his reputation, when he saw him giving no relief to this poor, destitute widow woman. 
now the application of the parable. Isn't it? As you read this, did it strike you like it struck me? That the Lord says in verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. The widow's unfailing persistence and perseverance is commendable. Especially in light of the fact she kept coming despite of her circumstances. Everything was against her. And despite of the fact of the despicable character of the judge, she wouldn't quit. Even though every day he was turning her away. She kept persevering. And then I thought, what a stark contrast there is between this wicked judge and our Holy Father who hears our prayers. Hear what the unjust judge saith and learn what what your heavenly Father. And shall not God avenge His own elect which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them, I tell you, He will avenge. He will avenge them speedily. What a contrast between an unjust judge and our Heavenly Father. Now think about these contrasts. And these, this is what ought to motivate us. As we think about what the, the parable and what it's teaching us. The widow was a stranger to the judge. He didn't know her. She didn't know him. And yet she kept coming. But notice, in our text, God calls us His elect. He knows us from the very foundation of the world. He loves us with an everlasting love. So much so, he, he knows our name. He wrote our name in the Lamb's book of life. And He bids us come. Amen. She was going to a judge she did not know. And yet we're bidden to come to a Holy Father that's known us from before the foundation of the world and proved His love by sending His Son and then sending His Spirit into our hearts, enabling us to cry, Abba, Father. That ought to motivate us to pray. He loves us and protects us. The unjust judge despised her. In fact, he wanted her to keep her distance from him. But our Heavenly Father... Our Holy Father, He bids us to draw nigh. He says, call unto Me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He he says, draw nigh unto Me, and I'll draw nigh unto you. I love you. 
I want you to draw close to me. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Make your needs known. What a motivation. When you think about our Heavenly Father saying, Come. She came to an unjust judge. He was crooked. He was corrupt. He was unqualified. We come to a righteous Father. When Jesus prayed in His high priestly prayer, in John 17, 25, He said, O righteous Father, the one that we come to, He has no spot or blemish. God is holy. In Him there is no... God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. We come to a righteous God who is holy and who is a friend to sinners, the fatherless and widows. This widow woman kept coming in spite of the fact she had no friends or family to act as her advocate or to present her case. You think about who your advocate is. Jesus Christ the righteous. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. God has gone to such great lengths to make the throne room of grace wide open for us to come. The blood of Jesus has made a way. The name of Jesus. We speak His name. We enter in by His authority. And God even gives us an advocate with the Father. And then He gives us the spirit of prayer so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. It ought to motivate us. This should not be a hard thing. The woman had no encouragement to ask or encouragement to come. And listen to what Jesus says to His disciples. Ask and it shall be given unto you. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, you come in My name, by My authority, and according to God's will, I'll give you whatever you ask for. That's that's pretty powerful. That's a great encouragement. Why aren't we praying? Now, another thing about this judge, he was only available at certain times. He had office hours. But our text says that God will avenge His own elect which cry day and night unto Him. There's people all around the world at every hour of every day that are calling out to God and He never grows weary. He never grows tired. His ears are open unto His elect. He hears us. How glorious is that? That no matter... and and I don't know about you, but I'm I'm getting a little agey. I'm starting to get older. used to be when I'd work all day, and I'd go to bed about 10 o'clock at night, I, I went to sleep dead as a stone. Man, wouldn't wake up at all. Now I work all day. I can't hardly go to sleep at night. Go, I, I get to bed and I lay there. 
I finally fall asleep, wake up. Middle of the night. Find myself for some reason, I got things rolling in my mind. Sermons, prayer requests, all kinds of things. You know what I started doing? Praying. If I can't sleep, he hears, he hears me day and night. So I start to praying for the church people that I pastor. I start praying for souls to be saved. I start praying about things. When I run out of things to pray about, I start going through my memory verses. And then before too long, I'm off to sleep again. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Her pleading troubled the judge. But our pleading is pleases the Father. It bothered him. It wearied him. When you come to God and your heart's right and you're coming to Him with joy and thanksgiving and you're, you're worshiping Him and you're confessing your sins and you're offering thanksgiving, do you know it's like God... Look at that. Look at John. Look how He's coming. He's coming to the throne of grace rejoicing. I'm going to hear. I delight in Him. Our Heavenly Father... He delights in hearing His children pray. You see, our great God is not an unjust judge. He's not corrupt. He's not a self-seeking politician. He's a loving Father who chose us, who sent His Son to redeem us with His own life's blood, who sent His Spirit into our hearts, revealing His love and granting us the grace to cry out, Abba, Father. Amen. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. That widow woman, in spite of the fact that everything was against her, and the judge was against her, she would not quit. And God, listen, God is saying, you're my children. Certainly, you can do better than, than this example. Because I'm bidding you to come. It shouldn't be hard for us to be earnest, fervent, and persevering in prayer. Why must we be committed to earnest, fervent, persevering prayer? There's so much at stake. Our homes, our children, our grandkids, our churches, our communities. You got a young man going off into the Air Force, going to be gone, committed for nine years to a course of study and action. He needs your prayers. Need to pray that God will use him in a powerful way to make a difference with this opportunity he's been given. You got two, two. Teenage girl, just trusted the Lord. Pray for them. Pray that God will give them strength. We need to pray not only that God will save our children, but He'll give them a desire to walk with Him in His New Testament churches. The souls of men are worth persevering prayer. You and I know people all around us who are lost and yet in their sins, 
We need to be a witness to them and we need to pray perseveringly that God will save them. And you know what else you need to pray about? Direction, guidance, illumination from the Scripture for wisdom in your daily walk to walk with God. This sermon convicted me as I prepared it. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. John, you come. The question to be asked then tonight is just how is your prayer life? Do you take time to go to the Lord? Do you take time to pray over your issues that come up before you? I think so often we end up in trouble because we forget to pray and sometimes we do the things that we shouldn't do. We pray that the Lord has moved upon our hearts this evening. The advantage that the Christian has is so miraculous. Just to be able to go to the throne room. When Jesus Christ was dying on the cross of Calvary, when the temple veil was rent from top to bottom, it means something. God was satisfied and He said, you no longer have to come before a man. I've got your advocate. Folks, I'll tell you what. To know that we can come boldly before the throne of God, it ought to relieve the Christian of so many troubles and trials in our lives. May God help us to see the use and the benefit that He gives us when He says, You come unto me. May God help us. Brother Jim, you come. Have our pianist to come. I pray the Lord has spoke to your heart this evening about your prayer life. Make sure that you spend time with the Lord just like you do your best friends. Make sure He is the best friend you'll ever have. Talk to Him. Okay.